Hello, and welcome to the Fuel Run Recover podcast, helping everyday runners fuel better, run smarter, and recover faster so you can reach your full performance potential. I'm your host, Stephanie Natchek, dietitian, fitness coach, and a fellow runner too. As the owner of Stephanie Natchek Performance Nutrition, I've spent the last 10 years helping runners learn to fuel their bodies, level up their running performance, and establish healthier relationships with food and exercise. If you're ready to reconnect with your love of running, then let's get started on today's episode. All right. So before we get started with today's episode, I wanted to invite you to check out a few great free resources that I created just for runners. To get them, all you have to do is click on the link in the show notes or visit www.stephanienachuk.com. If you visit my website, there's a little pop-up box that comes up and it'll prompt you to enter your email address and these guides will be sent right to your inbox. The first guide is my fueling guide for runners. So in this resource, you'll find my top fueling tips for runners, as well as some specific meal ideas for both your pre and post run fuel. If you've been struggling to understand what to eat when to support your running and just figuring out like what those meal ideas, like what those meals look like, what kind of foods you should be including before versus after you run, what the difference is between pre and post run fueling, then this guide is exactly what you need to get you started on the right path. The other guide that I created is my strength training guide for runners. So this guide includes both a PDF resource, has some tips, guidelines, and links to my YouTube series where I actually walk you through all of the exercises in the program. This is a great beginner strength training guide for runners who want an effective but efficient full body workout that helps support the key muscles and movements you need to run stronger and injury free. So once again, both of these guides are available together. I have them put together as a little bundle for you. You can just click on the link in the show notes or go over to www.stephanienatchek.com, enter your email address just the one time, and both of these free guides will get sent to your inbox right away. I hope you enjoy these resources and find them helpful in supporting you and your running. And now let's get into today's episode. Hello and welcome to today's episode of the Fuel Run Recover podcast, where we are going to be answering some of your listener Q&A. I always really love doing Q&A episodes because, you know, it's so great to, you know, for me to understand better, like what people are sort of struggling with and, you know, what you want to hear more about. And of course, to give, you know, my, my rapid fire thoughts on a bunch of different topics all within one episode. So this is our third runner Q and a episode that we've done here on the podcast so far, of course, plenty more to come. So if you want to check out some other uh, Q&A episodes, you can go back and check those out too. There's lots of great content in those as well. If you're a new listener to the podcast, I want to say thank you so much for joining us and welcome. And if you've been listening for a long time, then that's wonderful as well. And I want to say thank you so much for being a, a longtime listener, even though the podcast here has only been around for about uh, six months at this point. So we're still definitely a baby in the podcast world, but it's been uh, really fun for me and I hope you've enjoyed it as well. And of course, we're growing all the time. So without further ado, let's dive into today's Q&A episode. The first question that we have to answer here 
is uh, submitted from someone on my Instagram. Actually, I believe that these all were submitted via Instagram. And the first question here is, is running bad for female hormones? I heard something about spikes in cortisol that can affect metabolism. This is a really great question, and I'm I'm so glad that someone asked it. And you know, we probably should do a whole episode just talking about hormones and metabolism and all the ins and outs of that stuff. Because as of late, hormones and their impact on our health, our metabolism, our weight, our performance has really been, I think, front of mind for a lot of people in a way that it wasn't a few years ago. You know, if we, if I look back to earlier in my dietitian career, maybe, you know, 10 years ago or so, uh, we, ne- we didn't really talk about or, or think about um, hormones to the extent that they're definitely thought about and talked about and, and kind of focused on these days. So there's definitely a rise in interest in hormones. And I think that that's a great thing But then it also, of course, every time there's interest um, and there's popularity in an area, it also is going to lead to some confusion. And that's where we start to get questions like this, you know, people thinking that maybe as a female, should we maybe not run because is there a potential negative impact on our hormone function, you know, an increase in cortisol and having ultimately negative health impacts as a result. So the really short answer to this question is that no, (laughs) running as a whole, running kind of as a sport is not bad for for female hormones in any way, shape or form. Uh, One thing I also want to point out is that, you know, both men and women do, of course, have cortisol, like that's not a female specific hormone that only females have, although what we do experience is that there may be a greater sensitivity to the impacts of cortisol for women versus men. And this basically comes down to the impacts that cortisol have on our reproductive health and and the female reproductive cycle is sort of the main place that we would see the differences in that impact. Now, cortisol, for anyone who's not familiar, um, I think we've all probably heard of cortisol, but we don't necessarily know exactly what it is or what it does in the body. And cortisol is, you know, a hormone that we need. It is completely normal and natural and important to have enough of. But of course, like everything, there's this balance of enough versus too much. And this is where we get ourselves into trouble. So cortisol is our body's primary stress hormone. And when we say stress, stress can come from all of these different types of things. So yes, running and and any intense exercise is stress for our bodies. But the key is that with cortisol, we are then able to compensate for that stress. And this is what actually stimulates our body to adapt, to get stronger, to improve fitness, right? To overcome that stress so that the next time we do that exact same thing, it's not as stressful. And the thing is though, we have of course that physical stress and like the physical demand on our bodies that comes from our training. If we are overtraining, right? We're doing too much training for the amount of fueling that we're doing. We're doing too much training for the amount of recovery time or recovery days that we're giving ourselves, if we're not getting enough sleep, you know, we cannot stress enough the importance of sleep for helping to improve recovery, balance things like hormone, you know, how much of what should we do? 
lots of people have really strong opinions about what, uh, you know, whether or not we should eat animals or even these days, whether or not we should be eating plants. And so when we look at protein sources specifically, you know, there's a lot of uh, different opinions about where we should be getting our protein from. So the first thing I want to kind of highlight is, you know, protein and the differences that we might see between a plant and animal protein and why there's even a conversation being had about this. And then of course, what you as a runner can do to make sure that you're both meeting your protein goals, like meeting your protein requirements in a way that is, you know, good and appropriate and feels ethically and environmentally comfortable for you, whatever that might look like. So protein is found in essentially all foods to various degrees. You know, foods that are higher in protein are going to be some of our plant protein. So that would be like beans, lentils, chickpeas, soy. We also, of course, get protein from eggs, from dairy products, from meat, and also from fish, just to name a few. Grains, fruits, vegetables, nuts, and seeds also have protein just to slightly smaller degrees, slightly smaller quantities than what we find in our um, the other foods that I mentioned. So is there a difference between the protein that we get from plants and the protein that we get from animals? Well, the main difference, kind of the most important difference, is that animal proteins contain all nine of the essential amino acids. Now, what we mean when we say essential in the nutrition world is that the body, our bodies cannot make these amino acids themselves. So protein, like the the whole proteins that we get from food, these are made up of amino acids and amino acids are the teeny tiny little individual building blocks that all come together in different ways to make up different types of protein. Now we have nine essential amino acids. These are the amino acids that we cannot make ourselves. We have to get these from food. So one of the main criticisms that you hear of plant protein is that no plant protein sources are really great sources of all nine essential amino acids. So if you eat an egg or you eat some chicken or you eat some yogurt, in all of those sources, you are getting all nine essential amino acids. If you eat some... Uh, beans, or you eat some quinoa, or you eat uh, like a rice protein powder, you aren't getting adequate amounts of all nine essential amino acids together. However, this is this is sort of the point that is often overlooked then when people are criticizing plant protein sources, is that when you combine different plant protein sources, they make up for each other. Like they, they compensate like what one plant protein might be lacking uh, in terms of an essential amino acid, the other one has. And so if we're consuming a variety of different plant protein sources throughout the day or even within the same meal, then we're actually still ticking off all of those essential amino acid boxes. We don't have to be eating them all together in one single food in order to meet our requirements. There's also a criticism of plant proteins where people will say that you need more total protein because of the quality of the protein is different between plant and animal foods. You need more protein in total from plants in order to make up for the amount that we get from animals. But the thing is, when we look at nutrition facts, like when you look at nutrition information, 
that's actually been accounted for already. So we don't need to worry about that in our day-to-day eating. We don't need to be eating, you know, 30% or 50% more vegetable protein or more plant protein to make up for it. When we look at a food label, when we look at a package and we look at the nutrition information, that has already been accounted for in those numbers. So when it comes down to what should you do as a runner, like should you consume animal foods? Should you not? What does that balance look like? The protein conversation to me really isn't the most important thing here because you can get protein from so many different foods, from so many different sources. We can use things like protein powders if needed to make up the difference. Um, if someone is having a, tr- having a hard time meeting their protein goals, there's just so much variety of different foods that contain protein that with a little bit of planning, a little bit of knowledge about nutrition, this isn't something that we need to be concerned about. However, when it comes to the vitamin and mineral composition of protein, different protein sources, this is where there sometimes can be a little bit of a difference between the nutrients that we get from animal foods versus from plant foods. So for example, um, you know, there are some nutrients like calcium, like choline, like omega-3 fats, EPA and DHA, that we find more abundantly in animal protein sources versus in plant protein sources. It's not all or nothing. It's not that there's no choline, calcium, omega-3s in uh, plant foods. It's just they're not found as abundantly and we can struggle to meet our needs if we're excluding all animal foods from our diet. Now, of course, though, this can be overcome with supplementation. So we don't have to get those food sources in in order to meet our needs, especially if it means that we're eating foods that we don't like that we don't feel comfortable eating, that we don't feel good when we eat them. So this is where having, you know, a personalized approach to your nutrition and including supplements if and where needed to make up the difference is a great way for people to get everything they need, even taking into consideration their dietary preferences. So from a health perspective, you know, definitely there are certain types of protein foods, certain types of meats like processed meats, um, and that we really want to be mindful of not consuming too much of. But if we're looking at it from more of an environmental or ethical standpoint, then that's going to be really up to the individual runner to determine what feels best for them and what feels most comfortable for them. But the good news is, whether you consume animal foods or you don't, neither is a guarantee that you have a healthy, balanced diet. It is important to be looking beyond just the labels of you know, eating plants or not, or eating animals or not eating animals, and making sure that you're meeting all of your nutrient requirements, making sure that you're supplementing if and where needed, and making sure that the overall protein content that you're getting in is enough for you and your needs. The best way to make sure you're doing this is by working with a dietitian who is experienced with working with runners, someone who can create for you with you a personalized nutrition plan. This is exactly what I do in the work that I do with runners, as well as in my online program, the Fuel Train Recover Club. We, of course, go through all of these different topics, how to choose, you know, different sources of protein, where to get nutrients from, and how to create an overall nutrition strategy that makes sense for you and your goals. So hope that helps to answer the question about animal versus vegan proteins. Um, It really is more of a personal choice, in my opinion, um, what people want to use to get their protein in. But at the end of the day, we want to make sure that regardless of which option we go with, 
what quantity of which we go with. I, again, it should not and does not need to be an all or nothing thing. We want to make sure that protein isn't the only consideration here, that we're also getting in all of our vitamins and minerals along the way too. So our next question for today is, what is the best way to adjust fueling as running volume increases? I've always struggled with this. This is another really good question that I think a lot of runners uh, have, or if, if you haven't asked this, then you should ask this because it is very, very important when you go from either being a new runner or being a runner who is just in a, a lower volume base building phase, you're coming off an off season or anything like that, and you're adjusting to incorporating more volume, you're increasing your mileage, getting ready for a race or something like that, your nutrition should change, right? How you eat between your off season or your base building season and how you eat during a marathon training cycle should look different. If it doesn't, that's a problem. So what is the best way to do this? You know, really when it comes down to your basic nutrient requirements, the main thing that's going to change is your carbohydrate needs, your protein requirements, your fat requirements. Those are going to be pretty standard for most, most times of, of your year. You know, for most of the year, um, you are going to need the same amount of protein. You're going to need the same amount of fat, vitamins and minerals, same thing. They're going to be relatively similar. Of course, as you increase your calories, your intake of nutrients is going to increase alongside that, which is a good thing. Um, we don't always have numbers and data to tell us, you know, if someone's running 30, 40, 50 plus miles a week, how much more do they need in terms of like vitamins and minerals? There's often good evidence that people need more, but we don't necessarily know how much more, but because of your increase in calories, that should be sort of accounted for in terms of what you're getting for fueling. So the main thing that we need more of is going to be our carbohydrate calories. We need more fuel because we are burning more fuel when we're doing more running. Um, we may also need to increase our protein a little bit along the way, but again, from increasing our calories as a whole, this shouldn't be too, too difficult. Um, as long as our appetite is relatively good and we're not really struggling with, uh, you know, reds or low energy availability, which can negatively impact our appetite. So my favorite tool, um, if you've, if you've been a client of mine, if you have been through the fuel train recover program or anything like that, then you will know that one of my favorite models to use is our plate models. And basically these athletes plate models, um, are ways that we can adjust our training month to month, kind of cycle by cycle, but also even day to day based on what we're doing with our workouts. So what that would look like is We've got a, a pretty consistent enough amount of protein on our plate. This could be anywhere between like a quarter and a third of our plate. And then between our vegetables and our carbs, we're going to go from, you know, really vegetable focused meals in the off season and in our base building season. And then as we're increasing our mileage, that, that ratio is going to shift a little bit to include a little bit more carb on our plate, you know, and of course we're going to have to make space for that by just reducing the amount of vegetables slightly. Again, it's not all or nothing. It's nothing extreme or, um, you know, really out there. It's just being, um, you know, making a small adjustment and just being very mindful of making sure that we're hitting our calorie targets. The other thing that we're going to be doing to adjust our fueling as we increase our running volume is going to be adding in some more snacks throughout the day. 
So if you are coming off of an off season or you're doing base building and a lot of your runs are, you know, quite short, you've got more rest days in there. You're going out for like maybe 30 minutes at a time or something like that. Then realistically, we're probably not going to be needing to eat six, seven times a day. Like we, we are when we're doing a lot higher mileage. Now, if your meals are quite small and you're just used to eating fairly frequently throughout the day, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but for an off season base building phase, minimum three meals a day, maybe you're getting in a little pre-run snack and you're probably going to be doing just fine. As our volume increases though, this is where we might need, well, we're for sure going to need a pre-run snack, pre-run snack, maybe a post-run snack before we get into our post-run meal, plus our inter-run fueling. And then maybe we need a snack in between like our lunch and our supper, for example. And then maybe we even want to make sure we're getting in an evening snack before we go to bed at the end of the day, which in a, an off season or a base building phase, we just may not be as hungry that often. And so it's not only the eating volume that's maybe increasing or the carbohydrate volume that's increasing. It's also that we're probably going to be hungry more often and we're going to need to start incorporating more snacks into our day. The next question we have today is salt. How do we know if we need to use salt pills and what does this help with? So another good question, just like with fueling uh, options, brands for different types of running fuel, there are many, many different types of electrolyte replacements, sodium being the primary electrolyte that we lose in our sweat. There are so many different options and brands and things out there that we can use for electrolyte replacement to get more salt. So what does this help with? Sodium and salt replacement, sodium and salt are, are the same thing. So sodium is one of the minerals that makes up table salt. This is an electrolyte replacement that we need when we're doing higher volumes and longer running distances. Because when we sweat, we're losing electrolytes, we're losing primarily salt in our sweat. And so when we're doing a long run or it's really hot or humid outside and we're sweating a lot, this is where we can start to lose sodium faster than we would be replacing it through our regular meals and snacks throughout the day. You know, if you have a pre-workout snack, you have a post-workout meal, but you're maybe running for two, three hours in between those two meals, we potentially can lose a considerable amount of salt. Individual runners, the amount of sodium we lose per hour of running varies a lot, not only from person to person, but also depending on the weather. So heat, humidity, all of those things are going to have an impact. Also how well-trained a, a runner is. People who are uh, less trained, less experienced, potentially are going to have more sweat losses, especially in the heat. So how do we know if we need to use salt pills? Well, it really depends on how long you're running for, how long you're training for. Anything over 90 minutes, we will want to be including an electrolyte uh, replacement along with our fluids and possibly our fuel on that run. So over 90 minutes, that's kind of our threshold where we definitely want to be looking at some level or some degree of electrolyte replacement. How exactly you do that? Sky's the limit. There are tons of different brands of electrolyte powders, electrolyte beverages. There's even like, um, what did I see most recently that someone was using? It was like a little, like almost like a little salt lick. And, uh, you know, I, I grew up my, my best friend growing up, they had a farm 
and they had like those big salt lick bricks for their cows. And of course we were kids. So of course we had to try it, but it's kind of what it reminds me of. It's like a little stick and you like lick it as you're, as you're running. Um, anyway, so all kinds of different things, salt pills or these electrolyte tablets that you would just like swallow whole or, or maybe, um, they're ones that you also like dissolve in your mouth. That's just one option. So at no point in time would I ever say that someone needs to use salt pills, but it is definitely one of many electrolyte replacement strategies that you may want to incorporate. So again, when you are going to be training for a higher volume race, a longer distance race, and you are looking at how do I make sure that I have everything I need, kind of all the pieces coming together. Once you're running for longer than 90 minutes, this is where uh, we have to start looking at electrolyte replacement. There's a number of different products out there that you can use. Having an understanding of your unique sodium and fluid requirements is important. And of course, working with a dietitian, getting some education about sport nutrition and your needs is really key here. And then you can use whatever you want to for that electrolyte replacement. Um, I mentioned a couple of things, but I also want to mention food sources of electrolyte replacement that you might use on a run. Some people prefer to run with foods like pretzels. Or uh, some people will run and have like um, like granola bars or, or things like that that have sodium already in them. So that might meet your need for electrolyte replacement without necessarily having to do something like salt pills. So that, that gives us some ideas and some context of how and when a salt tablet might be uh, needed. If you're doing very long distance events like ultra marathons or triathlons that are going to be many, many hours in duration... Something like salt pills would never be a bad idea to kind of have on hand just for options and, and things that you can try because during these events where you're potentially losing huge quantities of sodium, you know, if you're getting into trouble with hydration and you need to, uh, you know, bump up the amount of electrolytes you have in your body quite quickly, then that can be a way to do that really efficiently. But of course, you know, eating something like a salty food or using a very high sodium electrolyte replacement product would give you a similar result. All right. And so the last question that we're going to talk about today has to do with cross training. And so this question um, also was submitted via Instagram and it says cross training ideas for when you can't run. Now, of course, why you can't run is going to be the main factor that tells us uh, what kind of cross training you can do. So if you are injured and the reason you're asking this question or wondering about the answer to this question is because you are hurt, then what you need to do is consult your physiotherapist or athletic therapist to ask them what cross training is okay for you to do. Because depending on the nature of an injury, there are certain cross training activities that may further exacerbate a problem. They may make an injury worse or they may be okay. Or if you're really injured, then you may need to just rest. There's there's often a time and a place for cross-training, um, but not always depending on the nature of an injury, how bad it is. And we don't want to feel so panicked about losing fitness, gaining weight if we can't run, that then we end up prolonging an injury process because we were so rushed to get back into doing a certain training volume. Sometimes we need to just let our body rest and recover. And that requires us to take a big step back in our training volume and not replacing running with a whole bunch of other activities that can be equally as stressful and difficult on the body. 
The other time that we want to be mindful of how much cross-training we're doing is during our running taper. So when we're tapering for a race, again, the goal here is rest and recovery, not filling up our calendar or our schedule with a whole bunch of other exercise minutes. So there's a time and a place for cross-training, and I think cross-training is fantastic, but we want to be certain that we are using cross-training in a healthy way and not maybe um, prolonging problems or ultimately setting ourselves up for disappointment at a race because we did way too much cross-training and we didn't really give ourselves the rest and recovery time we needed. So then in terms of cross-training, like what kind of counts as cross-training? Like what is cross-training? Um, you know, really cross-training is anything we do that isn't running. <laughs> there's there's no real formal definition of like what is and what isn't cross-training. There's probably a, a little bit more sort of personal opinion on what kind of counts or what doesn't. So there's cross-training, which to me, and again, I want to be clear that this is just, you know, my opinion on the matter. Cross-training would look like cycling or swimming or like maybe playing another sport or uh, doing like a, an exercise class, like a fitness class that is giving you a similar intensity to running, like like you're you're getting similar kind of heart rate, you are are getting sort of a similar level of workout compared to your running. It just isn't running. Now sometimes, again, if we're injured, if it's a rest day, we should be resting. If it's a, an active recovery day, I guess I'll say or something like that then perhaps the intensity is a little bit lower. Like I'm thinking like doing a very easy uh, bike ride, very leisurely easy bike ride on a day that we're not running or, or just walking instead of running would be another really good example. So it may be less intense than our running um, if we need it to be that way for whatever reason, or it may be as intense. And the idea here is that we're just doing something different that is still great for developing fitness and, and helping to maintain fitness, even though it isn't running. This can be great for both like physically for our bodies to have that variety, but also mentally, you know, sometimes we just need a little bit of a break from running and we want to do something different. Then we have other activities that aren't necessarily cross training and that they're not as intense. They're not kind of the same intensity as running, but they're still great. Like they're still good active movement that, that are still really valuable. And this of course would be like our strength training, super key. Every single runner needs to strength train. That is, that is my final opinion on the matter. And, uh, you can try to change my mind, but you won't for scheduling. We don't have a run that we're actively getting ready for. Runners can definitely struggle a lot with almost like their identity on a day that they're not running. It's like, am I really a runner if I don't run every single day? And if, if that is you, and, and this is kind of speaking to you right now, then I want you to know that even if you don't run very often, you're still a runner. Even if you don't race, you're still a runner. Even if you take some time off, you're a runner. You don't have to change your Instagram bio to say that you're an injured runner. You don't have to, to clarify on every post or everything you say and share that you're you're injured right now. You're a runner, but you're injured or anything like that. You know, it's okay to sometimes take a break. It's okay to sometimes not run. And, you know, you want to be able to find enjoyment and excitement and, and stuff like that in other forms of movement if and when you need to, and not be kind of overwhelmed by this sense of guilt that you aren't keeping up to the same degree of intensity or, or amount of running that you're used to doing. So cross-training, 
is great. Lots of different ways that we can do it and incorporate it, but we have to look at how are we using the cross training? Um, what is it replacing if we can't run? Why can't we run? And, you know, are we going about this in a smart way or are we continually kind of digging that hole for ourselves of overdoing it and pushing our bodies further than they need to be pushed? All right. So that is it for today's episode. Um, our, our Q and a number three, I hope that you found it helpful. I hope that you got some good tips and suggestions and advice from this Q and a episode. And like I said, there's a couple more that we've already recorded and released Q and a number one and Q and a number two. So definitely go ahead and give those a listen if you haven't already. And of course, if you are, uh, you know, listening to today's episode and some of the information I shared, about the importance of having a personalized plan, working with someone to understand your unique nutrition needs, understanding your electrolyte requirements, all of that kind of stuff, then, you know, I would love to help you. I am, of course, a, a dietitian and certified running coach. So working with runners is, is what I do and what I specialize in. We uh, have options for working together one-on-one. I do work with clients both in the nutrition coaching and uh, run coaching capacity. And I also have my online group program. That's the Fuel Train Recover Club. And it's another great option for runners who really want to learn and, and understand nutrition and training and how to put it all together into a plan that works for you in the long run and really helps you to reconnect with your love of running and optimize your performance, whatever that might look like for you. So you will find links to check out my one-on-one services, as well as, of course, learn more about the Fuel Train Recover Club by visiting the show notes for this episode, or all of that can be found by visiting my website, www.stephanienachuk.com. So thanks again for listening. I really appreciate you spending some time with me today and we will see you back next week for our next week's episode. Bye for now. The information on this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not to be used or relied upon for the diagnosis or treatment of any health condition. This information does not create a client-practitioner relationship and should not be used as a substitute for professional medical advice.